Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Not Safe for Wonk. I'm Kennedy Cooper with you as always. Leo Who else we got here? Brandon Buchanan. And we have a guest today. Do. Hello. Hello. It's Sarah Marilyn. Sarah Marilyn is a social media strategist on the interwebs, and mm-hmm. she's worked for political campaigns, including the Marianne Williamson campaign. And we've been so excited to remember that. Kind of, remember the Marianne campaign? We haven't. No, talked about I don't like 40 actually. Episodes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, power level, fully, fully, fully there. Right. Um, we, we've obviously been very big fans of Sarah since the week that we started the podcast. Uh, and we had Sarah as one of our like dream targets for the show, just to talk about mm-hmm. um, social media and meme power and uh, generating campaigns online. All the fun and now, stuff. Yeah, and now we we actually have her here. So welcome, Joe. Thank you, thank you. I've been I've been dying to sit with you guys. This is great. Yeah, yeah, and we're, yeah. we're happy to have you as well. Uh, so Sarah, could you just briefly introduce yourself? Kind of like say who you are and your history with being a professional memer. Awesome. Yeah, I've sort of. Well, I used to be a brain scientist. Um, a lot of people might not know that about me. I used to uh, work on brain computer interfaces and specifically for ALS patients. And a study I was working on basically went dead in the water because funding ran out. And then a few months later, the ALS ice bucket challenge happened. And that was like the completely derailed my career. I was like, oh my gosh, the the hashtag raised millions of dollars where before these private institutions couldn't even fund the study. Uh, And so that was like how I got started on this and just went full force into social media uh, and activism, you know, raising awareness and money for causes. So that's how it all yeah. started. <laughs> that's like actually that. like a, that's an incredible origin story. Yeah. I, I guess it was like written, written in the fates or something. I'm like, oh, yes. And people are like, used to be a brain scientist. I'm like, yeah, trust me, social media is, you know, it's as fun, um, but there's, there's so much uh, potential there. And I actually had no intentions of getting into politics at first. I worked for startups uh, and companies just like setting up their social media infrastructure. And it was like, I was getting started at a time where big brands were just starting to figure out like, oh, we need a serious social media presence. And we need to like respond to comments on our pages and things like that. And they were like, sort of just figuring this out. This was like, Mm -hmm. like eight, eight years ago, almost. Um, And so I would just like go in and help people set up like, okay, you need an Instagram, you need a Facebook, this is how you should do it, train staff, stuff like that. Um, And I've always been a political activist online. and um, memeing for fun, you know, I like manage all these meme pages. Uh, and so it's sort of just always been a thing. Uh, but this election cycle, for some reason, uh, just everything took off. And I, I just went full force, maybe because I, you know, after what happened in 2016, I was like, I, I hear the call this time. And, you know, I guess started memeing professionally at that point that the memes became the, the, the main deal, rather than just uh, what I did on the side for fun. What issues grabbed you? Um, the most in terms of your political priority going into this election. You obviously got to survive, as all of us have survived, three and a half years of Donald Trump. Somehow. Um, somehow. So was there something in that cycle that really grabbed you or was it something beforehand or what What kind of propelled you to be in 20? Well, one of the main issues I've, I mean, I've literally been posting about prison reform on my Facebook for like 10 years. So, you know, I, I become new friends with people and they get like, you know, offended when I post some stuff. And I'm like, look, I've been doing this for literally a decade. Like, I'm going to keep saying it. So prison reform was like, or prison abolition um, was one of the main issues. And I never expected that it would be taken seriously on a national stage. And I don't know if like, you know, they're seriously talking about like marijuana reform and things like that, um, which is obviously important. But 
I think it was the sort of uh, whatever had to grab us had to be sort of larger than life, I think, because that's what Trump was. And I didn't I wasn't expecting anything inspiring. Um, it really just snuck up on me. It all happened when uh, the first the first Democratic debate happened and the Marianne Williamson, the first Marianne Williamson memes happened. And I was like, oh, my. at first I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, I started I started the meme group and it just blew up. And I was like, oh, this is actually for real. Like, we are literally building an army of love right now. Like, are we really doing this harnessing love for political purposes? And then it, we just were harnessing memes for political purposes within a weekend. <laughs> yeah, that was that was literally insane. our story. We literally started, I think, the same weekend that you started your meme page. You guys were part of it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You're part of this whole like explosion. So we, we've told I, this story before, but I think it's we uh, we were all drawn to Marianne and we went we got to this Marianne Discord server and some of us one of us threw around the idea of making a podcast and another one of us at some few days later was like pinged us and was like hey do you want to actually make a podcast and then you know one thing turned into another and now we're fifty episodes in and we're making so did money you guys know each other did did you guys no, know each no. other before no, this started no our chemistry Isn't is that the most fascinating thing <laughs> accident. i'm in georgia kennedy is in uh new mexico leia at the time was in until, washington i was just until a ago in washington right uh and she's in texas now mm -hmm. but yes our chemistry our amazing chemistry is a complete accident we just we stumbled into this literally like Correct. this very well could have made one or two episodes the chemistry isn't really there dies out but like made this happen <laughs> It's, it it's so Marianne. It's, it's all because of those memes. Yeah, it's a bigger th it's a bigger thing that's happening. I mean, with the whole orb gang and everything, it was like that as well. None of us knew each other. And all of a sudden there's like it, it was almost like a cell infrastructure, like just people from all over meeting in some way and, and creating things like we made a website and all this stuff. And we had never met, never even talked to each other before this meme thing. Um, and I think it's we're really entering a time when we're seeing what is really possible. You know, that like before this, before July, I don't think I ever would have imagined that I would spontaneously connect with like dozens of activists across the country and be actually doing things and like mm -hmm. continuously doing things like it's a job. Um, your friend Lau has actually been a repeated guest on our show. Um, oh, my God. I love Lau. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lau friends is... with Lau. That's the oh, that's Lau. Is, uh, Lau is uh, yeah. Lau's been, Lau's been deep, deep in the orb um, since it started, like building mm -hmm. the orb gang site and everything like that. He's he's been there from the beginning. Um, to what degree do you think uh, candidates should or should not embrace the meme culture that's built around themselves? Uh, I think there's kind of a spectrum from candidates who uh, really embrace it. Uh, Swalwell obviously w wasn't running anymore, but his Fartgate thing kind of blew up and he leaned into <laughs> it. Donald Trump definitely leans into his own meme culture. Uh, there are people I mean, who kind I mean, of... I mean, he, he's been... Like, I don't know if you guys have been on the uh, Lovecraftian hell Twitter page, but he's he started to retweet, like, dumbass boomers of him. Yeah. Um, like, and th 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 this <laughs> is happening. Conventional politics is starting to turn uh, because right. they recognize its use. That's an amazing kids. question because I feel like bo like boomers aren't ready to ask that question or really hear the answer unprompted. Um, and I'm so glad you mentioned Swalwell too because his his <laughs> oh, mean yeah. power grows by the week, and I'm it's just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, but I I have always thought it's and it, this election cycle so far has definitely you know borne it out. I really think candidates of today and the future are going to have to lean into the me. Like you don't have to like throw all your weight behind it. I mean, obviously, 
you know, there's rumors that the feel the burn was not an official Bernie meme or anything like that. It wasn't like campaign approved, but it ended up being like the biggest thing for him in 2015, just feel the mm-hmm. burn. Um, and, and they ended up running with it. And they, they definitely leaned into the meme, you know, um, even though they might not have generated it themselves. And Trump is a great example of leaning into the meme. He goes a little hard sometimes, like the whole uh, picture of him photoshopped with Rocky. You know, that's a little that's a little more than leaning into the meme. <laughs> But um, Swalwell and Fartgate is is a perfect example because that moment could have slipped by. And that's sort of the essence of building a lot of traction, whether you're a candidate or an activist, is really being of the moment. And when you're on social media and social media is like where you're doing your work, the moment can easily just slip by. I mean, Fartgate was, what, four or five hours long? Like it was literally like 9 p.m. And then by like 1 a.m. it was sort of fading. And the next day, nobody was really yeah. talking about it. It was so fascinating. That's just the way of how general social media trends happen. It's just like, it's like that. If you remember, yeah. if you remember that, that thing with the 30 to 50 feral hog, and it became the like number that, one yeah. meme on the internet for <laughs> like one day. For about one day. <laughs> for literally one gone. day. And then the day after, Everyone it was like, you're was still joking about, yeah. You're still joking about feral hogs? That was yesterday. Oh my God. And, and then and the, spontaneous re- the spontaneous revival of the cats and salami meme also has just been like, didn't that die like forever ago? And then no, there's a, there's so a tendency to. <laughs> There's a tendency for people who don't have their ear to the ground on to read into meme culture really, really late. Like SNL, one of the SNLs, whenever recently, have made a "Are you in the Are you in the right headspace?" of information that could possibly hurt you joke about Donald Trump, and it's like that's a old now. You can't be you can't be doing. See, that had to make it's, its so way true. out the writers' room because the person yeah. that made the decision it had to sink in for them to get it. So you can't do it right away. It has to like climb the ladder. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the whole format of television. Like even something as quickly put together as SNL, you can't, doesn't, it can't adapt to the, well, to the culture. Well, let's talk, let's quickly talk about that. A lot of a political campaign or an activist campaign is based on conversations or is based on phone calls or is based on other slower forms of communication. Um, how do you determine what uh, popular things are things that should be jumped on uh, in terms of your messaging and your broadcasting and which should be kind of held back on? Um, one of the one of the observations I've had that it's really um, a, a group of people can come up with something that's better than two or three people. The internet as a whole the mass brain power and filtering and seeing something get or lose traction in real time it's just smarter than all of us put together than any of any single person possibly can be no matter how talented they are um so yeah how how do you determine which thing John for be inspired by i think there's a general i think there should be a general rule of trying it i mean Faking it and like, you know, trying too hard to sort of where you can go wrong. Like um, that time when someone on the Kamala campaign, like took the picture and like substituted her for Nancy Pelosi or Trump or something like that. And it was just like, they thought it was a good idea at the time, but it was like, you're trying too hard and it ended up being a total disaster and they deleted the post. So I think, you know, where you're coming from is sort of crucial, but I think in general, it's better to just have contributed to the conversation in some way, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to be profound or like the best tweet or meme ever. Because if you if you mess up, the social memory is so short. And if you just keep if you keep seizing moments, what you did two weeks ago is not going to be what people think about if you're still doing stuff today. So, like, in my opinion, it's better to just give it a go. Like if you're if you're coming at it from the right place, it's better to just jump in there and do it as much as you can. Uh, because the more you do it, the less impact the times you mess up happen. I mean, everyone messes up on social media, even Eric Swalwell, you know, 
messes up, but his meme power just grows constantly and it's, it's wild. So I think, and Trump, you know, what I, what I tell clients and, and, and candidates and stuff like that is exactly zero of Trump's bad tweets prevented him from getting elected. True. And like, and that was on you, the big possible <laughs> testing ground. It was yeah, yeah. and um, United Airliner still sells tickets. Like, <laughs> and people, um, people still. What I hate had that happen is whenever Trump makes a typo, he in the trending tab is like, uh, oh, Trump misspelled tower. He's gonna be impeached now. <laughs> he's, what a fucking idiot! Dipshit. People act like it matters, but you just know that he's gonna eating bad, shitty tweets. He's gonna keep making typos. Like, if he only tweeted a few times, then that failure would be noticed. But it's right, just, right. it's an, it's. Constant. Exactly. And we're really, we're really into a new era of media where people get their news on Twitter before they actually tune into physical cable news channels anymore. And things are not as polished anymore. It's sort of like, we knew this was happening in the 90s when we started transitioning to a soundbite culture where like little things you said could just get taken out of context or whatever. And it's like, that was, that was our first indication that we've departed from this sort of polished, scripted interview on CNN type of media or politics now it's we expect it to be unpolished and when we see candidates who have like totally you know like polished sanitized posts or brands that have totally polished sanitized posts they don't stick in our memory you look at the wendy's or netflix twitter and it's freaking hilarious and people love following them and engaging so it, we're really just in a different age where you you don't have to be perfect and you're not you're not expected to be perfect and i think trump is a perfect example of that being slightly cringe is like almost good right now <laughs> yeah. God, that's so true. That's so true. You can't be like, afraid of your cringe. Subscribers can have a little. <laughs> I mean, um, something I do say a lot when in regards to like memes and social media and like the era of media that we're in now is that it's worth it to just make lots of big bets. And that's kind of what meme culture is in a lot of ways. It's just like betting on a concept kind of taking off within the cultural consciousness um every tweet is that yeah so like yeah. you know if you if you make just like a couple of like big bets and that's all you lean into then like whatever but if you make lots and lots of big bets then if even one of them comes true people won't remember all the ones that didn't they'll just be like oh you were so right you were so right <laughs> that you are you are so right i mean there's two there's two things i would say about that the first is if you study the 2016 election or um, excuse me, the 2012 election, where you compare Obama against his opponent on social media, it is insane how much more frequently Obama posted on social media than his opponent. And like the statistics are directly coordinated. I mean, obviously, we saw this again in 2016, because Trump just straight up more content, more tweets, more everything than anybody else he was up against. Mm -hmm. And and, and that was true in 2008. And it was true in 2012 as well. And it's going to be true today. And this, the thought leader that I always sort of key into about this is Gary Vee. I don't know if you, any of you guys follow him or not, uh, uh, but his, yeah, he has like motivational posts. I love that stuff. But um, he, he's all about like more content, more content. Like if you're not videotaping things because you're, you didn't put on makeup and you're afraid that you don't look good, like you're not going to get ahead on social media. Like it's not about polished content. It's just about putting it out there. 
And I think that that's obviously true in the political realm as well. It's not just like a, it's not just like a happy phrase that he says. People are going to be, people are going to be suspicious of any 100% polished, 100% clean, clean shaven, clean cut. I think that's part of the reason why Judge is getting uh, dragged by a lot of the left is because of his uber pristine image that never, never breaks, that, that smile never breaks. Uh, um, for us as a show, definitely just release it has been our guiding philosophy. We yeah. have like a few episodes early in the run of our show that are practically unlistenable, but um, it, there's just so much um, momentum b- behind just repeatedly taking swings at it. And we, I don't think we've ever missed uh, an, an, a release. We might've had a few that were late by a day or two, but we released a couple episodes weekly all this time, except for we had a, a real disaster with our UAW live stream marathon. That's a whole different topic. Um, back on the subject of of twenty twenty and memes. Um, all memes are not funny. Uh, this is just my opinion. Nobody else has to share it with me. But I think the most successful meme in the the most clinical term of an idea that stays in people's minds is uh, Better O'Rourke after the shooting in El Paso. Uh, I think that his discussions with the press in the wake of that incident weighed on people's minds so heavily that as a candidate, no one uh, really took him seriously, but a percentage of people for like two or three weeks, uh, they empathized with him on such a deep level that they saw his response to that as something that was presidential or uh thought that he should, you know, be a leader. Um, can can you just talk a little bit about um, how memes are not all humorous and memes are narrative? And how do we how do we take this idea that, you know, everybody accepts the idea of narratives in a campaign, but it doesn't always stick in the terms of narratives can be smaller things, they can be moments and not stories that are told over a long period of time. Yeah, I think that there's something factual about that, actually. And then and then I kind of want to turn that Beto thing into a thought experiment, if you don't mind. Um, sure, 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 sure. Please do. There's like, there, there's what, what I think about is a beloved factor about memes and whether it's like a joking meme like the hurricane thing with Marianne or something more serious like the Beto thing. The way that memes interact with however our brain processes um, that information, you come the, the topic of the meme comes out with a beloved factor, regardless, like what whatever mood it is, it become the subject becomes more beloved to the people who see it and empathize with it. So I think that that's part of the power of the memes and why you, people need to sort of lean into the meme when they can is because it increases that beloved factor and people just want to hear from you again. But let's turn that into a thought experiment. And you, you said a, a, you know, a small percentage of people really empathized with him after that and they saw something in that. What if Beto had really leaned into that? And what if it was like, if it was, you know, how Trump just pumps out these tweets in these moments, what if Beto had kept pumping out moments like that, like every couple days? Do you oh. think his campaign would have like gone on a radically different course? I can tell you for sure that our podcast, like during when he was still in the the running, was mm-hmm. like leaned completely into the idea that Beto should say fuck on the debate stage. Oh yeah, we kept wanting like, that to happen. Like we, we had a we had a whole candidate where after the whole I wrote the damn bill thing. <laughs> and Beto should have said fuck, would have stored his polling been a moment. It would have been a thing. I think I agree. I think a larger issue with Beto's candidacy was uh authenticity. And I think when yeah. he was running for Senate yeah. in Texas, he was hitting counties, he was hitting the road. He was interfacing with people direct. Once you run for president, and uh, I mean, Sarah, you can attest to this. Don't attest to it, but you can attest to it silently. Uh, there's a 
lot of human interference. There's a lot of consultants between you and any action that you take. Um, And once there's that layer of optimization between you and authenticity, uh, it's hard for you to connect with people in that same visceral way. Uh, That's why a lot of candidates, once they stop running for office, suddenly become more relatable uh, because they don't have that layer between them and uh, their audience. I mean, Beto is taking pictures with his dog, just chilling out and took the internet by storm. Why didn't he do that while he was running? Like, if that was what- Yeah, he's running all over Texas, hanging out with Mm -hmm. these state house people that are super cool and like looking just like like a rock star again basically you know like yeah yeah and i think candidates and really i think the game is changing so much and i think we're probably going to see a lot of this in 2020 that you know people who don't adapt and get on a certain level are just not going to be able to make it against the people who do and it's partly like letting those those consultants get in the way of the the candidate and social media and you know, a lot of campaigns function without the candidate ever touching their social media and they leave it entirely up to the team. And that's just not going to work unless, you know, the people who are handling your account have the kind of authority to portray, you know, project that kind of authenticity without all those different layers that they have to go through. And then the mm-hmm. other factor is candidates are just afraid. They're afraid that they'll tweet something and the media will spin it into whatever they want, which, you know, you can see with a lot of these candidates and it makes them not it makes them censor themselves. And that's something that I think we see even at an activist level, uh, especially on left book, like you say one thing and you get canceled. And the people who continue to persevere throughout being canceled, like if you haven't been canceled 10 times, like, are you really an internet activist on the left? Um, (laughs) And you just keep going. But imagine if you had let the first time you got canceled, stop you from making the posts or, you know, shit posting or posting your memes, you wouldn't have been getting as much work done. There's and an candidates union have song. to get on that level. There's an old union song called You Ain't Done Nothing If You Ain't Been Called a Red. And I think we got to change You Ain't Done Nothing If You Ain't Been Cancelled. <laughs> oh that is timeless wisdom. Oh, thank you for that, Jim. Think of all of the, we, we were talking about uh, Brett Stevens earlier. Uh, oh, and here's God. A guy, oh, God. Here's God. a guy that said horrendous things over and over again, but it's just his job. And so he's just on this treadmill and there's no consequence that can really reach him because he's just consistent. He's not going away. Um, And despite it being a lesson from one of the worst people, it is a lesson that we can all uh, take to heart and adapt. Um, Let's talk a little bit about like people who haven't been canceled for the first time yet. And they've got a cause that they're passionate about and they want to get started. And they see that they have zero tweet, zero followers, zero subscribers. Uh, it's kind of intimidating, and I think it's why most people don't get get started, you know, championing themselves or championing their causes. What are the things that a person who's getting started on Twitter or Facebook or anything should be doing and thinking about to go from zero to 100 or to just get off the ground? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's the same for activists uh, as, as it is for brands or companies and stuff like that. And it's always the thing that people don't want to hear. But I'm sorry, I've been around with the bots and the automation and the paying for likes and all the different ways to grow an audience. And, you know, you can do refined content strategies that play off of each platform's algorithm. And that's a whole art in itself. But the right. ultimate thing is social media is social. And there's no substitute for being social on social media. And like Twitter is a great example because it's actually really easy to get a Twitter following if you want to just be on the platform responding to tweets, you know, blue checks, engage in those conversations, engage in those comment feeds. If you leave like a snarky or an amusing comment, you're going to get followers. And it's not just about like tweeting out into the ether or posting out into the ether. You have to be social 
and you have to engage in conversations. And I think activists have a sort of edge over brands because brands always think of being so sanitized and they're like, oh gosh, you know, Netflix just tweeted this tweet and, you know, these other brands are jumping in with these obscene responses. Do we really want to risk that? And, and they, they always think about those things. But activists, there's no, there's no reason why you can't go onto Ben Shapiro's, you know, Twitter and start engaging in the comment feeds or anything, except for the fact that mm -hmm. you might not think it's a good use of your time. But I mean, that's social media is social. That's what you're supposed to do. Have you ever so been it, tempted? In, in <laughs> essence, in essence, what, what your what your advice? Go to Ben Shapiro's replies and call him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would never like recommend against that, but the the snarkier <laughs> or more. We've kind of returned to authenticity, whatever that word right, means. Right, um, I mean, a, a well-placed your short is obviously going to get you some and likes, um, but anything well-placed in the comment feed will really. But yeah, it, literally any, any account that has followers, just engage in those conversations. Wherever there's people, engage in a conversation, and that's how you can get an audience, but also spread your message. Even if you only get five followers from that comment, or two followers, or one follower, you can get five retweets. And and who the heck yeah. cares like you're doing your work and it builds absolutely i personally enjoy dunking on nate silver anytime he tweets oh absolutely <laughs> Sounds like a great pastime whenever he tweets it's like a delicious morsel in my mouth like ah it's like, it's like a pavlovian bell <laughs> i do follow accounts specifically for that purpose like i know they're gonna tweet something that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna get me in there yeah that was something yeah. honestly that was hard for me i will just admit that like i i wasn't ready at first to like follow people and get notifications for their tweets that i didn't like you know i just didn't see the the productivity in that but actually like uh, i can say from our own experience with the podcast that like going out on twitter and like being a little controversial and just jumping in people's mentions is pretty effective <laughs> if you can hone your clapback game you will like master the social media yeah so i verify your advice is all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> um i want to ask about like forced memes though because i think that that's like an easy trap for people to fall into if you're out there oh, yes you know trying to get uh, clout it's really easy to think that you're onto something funny and keep trying to shove it down people's throats and nobody actually uh give a shit i think one of the best examples in recent memory uh actually not super recent but se semi-recent memory uh would have to for me would have to be hillary clinton um going on between two ferns which was like the the like the the biggest attempt of her campaign in 2016 to like be relatable and it was an absolute bombshell just complete failure could not have made her look less like a human. Um, so that's so interesting that you use that example because what I immediately thought of was the whole Warren meme team thing. I think you guys even talked about this <laughs> yes! on your podcast. Oh, yes. Oh, God. like talk about forced meme. That was a whole, that was a forced meme apparatus. Like. Would would that have worked? He talked to Lau before the Warren meme team came up because we were ironically making Warren meme, yeah. all of us. And they were, hilar <laughs> yeah. they were hilarious. The idea of a Warren the, meme. Go ahead, Lau. The ones that the Warren would have drawn up. <laughs> Our fake memes were funnier than the real Warren meme team memes. And I have no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. they, they were disavowed um, as not an official thing like a consultant had come up with the idea or something like that or a fan uh, was, was the official story afterwards um mm -hmm. but that, that would have been just great because you know we were making such great warren memes ironic warren memes beforehand um 
we could have easily co-opted that movement, um, which co-opting meme movements is a whole other problem for candidates, I think. But like forced forced memes, I just don't think it's possible. Like it it just won't catch. And the Hillary thing, obviously that more backfired than anything. Um, But the Warren meme team was like, oh my gosh. Oh gosh, uh, I, I don't think it works, and I don't think so, like so uh, how, how can you like kind of make sure you avoid it though? Because I think it's a really easy how, yeah. Wait, like, before we get into that, because we do need to know when a meme is forced. Uh, Sarah, do you have access to the ready room? Can you step in there for a second? I want to show us an image. Okie dokie, ready room. Got it. This is oh from the my goodness, the Warren meme team. <laughs> <laughs> wanted to share share that it's elizabeth warren she's pumping her fist there is a speech bubble the speech bubble reads simply yeet (laughs) you know what's fascinating about some of these forced memes though is i wonder if they are received by boomers in a different way because some of the boomer memes that are very sincere seem very forced and i think that there's like it i don't know who makes these forced memes like if it is like sort of boomer mentality behind them but maybe does that sit with boomers at all? I have no idea. Obviously, Yeet doesn't make any sense to I them, mean, but the, that format. The, with, this like, o- with this obvious them taking, them putting a traditional marketing person charge of charge of them because they're like, well, it's just social media market. Marketing is marketing. Skills will trend. Oh, you know what? You just, you just, you you basically got there already. So I, the first thing I would say is there's a whole problem with the way people are even trying to approach meme culture. Firstly, by not understanding it as a culture, the idea of a marketer trying to make memes for a campaign is just kind of absurd. It's contrary to meme culture. And these whole mm-hmm. attempts to like build an apparatus, like I think I've seen a couple campaigns do this where they're going to like try and collate a bunch of meme templates and then empower their grassroots to make a bunch of memes with them. Even that is a little too forced. The whole point is to cultivate a meme culture around, like, a, I think the Orb Gang culture. is a culture. It's not a, it's yeah, not it's a, a diktat. And it's spontaneous. And you kind of have to accept the reality that you can't, you can try and control the meme narrative, but you can't control the meme. Like, normal people have to make the memes. You have to let it arise spontaneously and do what you can to fuel that and shape it. But it has to be normal another, people. We should talk about this in another episode, but there's definitely a, a real fundamental aspect of internet culture that's communitarian and really resists hierarchical sort of uh, corporate or grabbing of it, just in how decentralized and slippery it all is. Yeah, you have to accept that reality, I think, just going in there. You can't think, like, I'm going to pay marketers to make memes. You have to think, how can I you know, inspire a community to spontaneously create memes. And, so and you shouldn't have to pay for it. <laughs> there's a lot of different facets. You got to get people make memes to like your candidate on a, on a level that they appreciate. Um, Sarah, how old are you? 28. You're roughly, you're roughly around Kennedy's age. Y- y'all are pretty similar. You have seen uh, the internet's culture completely change from when you were a kid. Um, oh, yes. Right. Oh, you, God. You, I you've can only lived, imagine. You've lived through news groups. You've lived through uh, PHPBB. Uh, you've lived through uh, Slacker News. You've lived through Dig. You've lived through Reddit. You've seen the entire evolution. So would you say as a whole, the internet is more centralized and corporate now? Or is it less centralized than corporate? And what impact does that have on how we think about promoting on social? It's definitely less centralized and less corporate. 
and, and by the way, I think that things will continue to rapidly change. And we're, I think we're already seeing that with Gen Z. I don't know if there's any Gen Z on here, but hey, they treat, yeah, yeah, Gen Z like treats the yeah. internet almost in a completely different way. And like mo the millennial way of like handling the internet is quickly becoming um, a little outdated or we're becoming a little bit out of touch and it's it's sort of escalating and the, the internet culture is changing like right in front of us and some millennials are like const constantly performing you know the the previous don't understand you have to extremely online keep on with the change exactly and gen z has these very interesting internet behaviors of uh being anonymous or they'll just like delete accounts and create new ones like it's nothing whereas even millennials like sort of like cherish their legacy accounts and they want a blue check and they want like all these followers or whatever and gen z is mm -hmm. like as a whole, doesn't even care about any of that stuff. They'd rather just have their data deleted and not have to worry about it. Like, it's a, it's a total way of interacting with, a different way of interacting with the internet. I mean, I just, when you think about it, millennials bridge the gap in that they grew up in the fringes of the internet and saw it evolve. But, like, I, one of my early, when I was, like, five, and I logged on to .com on my parents' laptop, like it's, it's always been around for, it's been a fixture in my life and in my media consumption habits. And furthermore, for Gen Z, memes are that fixture as well. Like, yeah. like we watched meme culture kind of evolve out of uh, sort of nothing in a way. Not really nothing, because I mean, there's if, all if these famous examples enough. now that like, yeah, memes have actually kind of been around to some extent sort of forever. But depending on what you want to categorize, especially, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's very strange to like think about that for me, for sure, because uh, I saw the origins of these cultures. But like for a lot of people, you know, now that are just like coming up to adulthood, they that's all they know is the meme culture as it's like kind of existed in this fully formed state. Yeah. And they know they have the freedom to just like create a new account at any time. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think even with forums and platforms, we see the same thing, you know, 4chan has a problem, they start 8chan, like, they can always create a new platform. There's, you know, they understand it in a little bit of a different way, or it's more of a fact of life. Yeah, this shit changes on the internet, sometimes really quickly. Facebook becomes not cool, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, there's going to be something else next year, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, Facebook, like, I don't know anyone that has a Facebook. Or what if the they hell do, is a Facebook they, anymore? They use it very, very rare for a specific Funk. I feel like I get gray hairs every time someone says that to me because I, I I'm such a typical <laughs> millennial. I spend like most of my time on Facebook and I know it's a dead platform and I, I, I like love hate it. But for some reason, I still spend all my time there. And I don't know. There is uh, nothing, there is nothing that will make you feel old like having Leia as a co-host. Because like I'll make a millennial <laughs> reference and Leia will be like, people don't even like if I were to say something about Fortnite, Leia would just be like, people don't even know what's shut up. Uh, <laughs> I know this is this is our plight as millennials. It's just going to get worse from here. Yeah, except you Zoomers dunk on all of us for being old. But all of you listen to My Chemical Romance. What's up with that? Adam. <laughs> it, 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 it does slap. It does. You can, things that are old slap. <laughs> Dad counts it out. I'm fucking to it. I told you. Oh, oh, God. I told you. I just feel uh, your, your, your skin wrinkling when Leia talks. Really terrible. All right. Yeah. Sarah, let's try to get in one more serious question. Um, yeah. People say that social media followers don't equal votes. And, like, I'm. I complain a lot about these like wonky political servers that i'm in here on discord where people will say all the time well that person's really just running on twitter about p progressive can things like that you know 
Um, But like the data seems clear that social media following has a correlation with political victory since at least 2008. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. So what do you think about like, where's the dividing line in terms of like, obviously, you can't run your entire platform on social media and do nothing else. Um, I, or maybe I, I, you would, can. I would even actually. debate. Okay, I would debate go, that. Go for it. I, I want to hear this. This is what I'm here for. Oh, yeah. Can I win just off Twitter? What's happening? Can Can I post my way into the office? I mean, I mean, Kennedy, you're a hundred percent right. First off, it cracks me up when people try and say like, "Oh, social media." engagement doesn't equal votes and i'm like actually for the last four elections like it's factually true that it does like voters and so are I'm, on social media. yeah whatever candidate posted the most on social media and got the most engagement won their election like a hundred percent of the time like it's not even just a theory it's a fact like as much of a fact as you can possibly get so it absolutely cracks me up when people say stuff like that like social media likes don't equal votes. Um, it's just you have to have a different perspective and think like, okay, well, just because 10,000 people tuned into your live stream on Facebook doesn't mean 10,000 people are going to vote for you. But the the data doesn't lie on that one. Like <laughs> the, the verdict's in, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I forgot the second part of your question. I get so uh, carried away about that part because no, everyone says it. <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what the fuck I said. I don't. It's it's. Oh, whether it you is. can win just on Twitter. Yes, win <laughs> just on Twitter. Right. I would I would wait Twitter above Facebook or Instagram on right. like could you pick one platform and just win an election? Like Twitter would be the one I would pick. Like yeah, it's most plausible. Facebook would be a second one, um, mostly because the age demographic on there is proven to vote. But Twitter is definitely the most powerful. I, I would honestly debate like more and more people cancel cable. And when you look at it's, it's interesting to me to, in this election to study the television ads and the ad spend, because you contrast like how much are candidates spending on the television ads and print ads versus the digital ads. And then how does that affect their polling? First of all, we all know that the polling is bullshit. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. No, it's, it's, it's <laughs> but, um, you know. adult podcast. You can say literally anything. <laughs> this is right. It's not safe for safe once. <laughs> yeah, not so safe. we we know polling is is completely detached from reality because till the very end, they told us Trump had no chance of winning. But and it's all the, landline contact. And, mm-hmm, yeah, but and then the little, TV little ad spend correlates directly to the increase in polling. So if you spend on TV, you're going to get more in the polls. But it's but the polls aren't even indicative of reality. So yeah, I mean, of course, in my opinion, just throw that out can, the window. I can digress. Like, of course, ad spends increase polling. Polling is on land. Who the fuck is going to answer landlines? It's the same people that watch TV ads. Yeah, and even some of them like do the, the cell phones. They'll call your cell phone these days. But who picks up an unknown number? I mean, honestly, unless you're a boomer or something like that. No, even millennials don't pick up phones for unknown numbers. I mean, I've seen breakdowns of polls where if you take the non-landline voters, Sanders a lot, a hell of a lot more than he does. I just also have yeah. to say, I watched the Scream TV show recently, and one of the only huge things that bothered me was that they were all answering these unknown calls. Like, who does that? <laughs> yeah. So if the polls have no real bearing on re- the TV ad spend has no real bearing on reality, you can kind of just like toss all that stuff out. Yeah. But what we do have concrete data for in this age is that the more social media engagements you get, the more likely your chances of are winning your election. So, And that's really the strongest metric that we have in today's political 
reckoning. So it kind of boggles my mind that people still still think that you have to have TV ads to be relevant. You have to have TV ads maybe for some people to take you seriously or, or something like that, or for the media to say this or that about you. But last election, it didn't matter what the media said or what the polls said or anything like that. So I would completely make the case that you can win an election just on social media. And if you're on a budget, it might be more pertinent for you to, to really focus on social media and focus on waging like a breakthrough digital campaign like mm -hmm. Trump did. And I'll remind everyone, the media didn't even want to cover Trump in the beginning of his election in 2015. Correct. And he he brute forced it because he just started live casting all of his speeches on his own social media pages and people tuned in and then the media had to cover him. He so made the, himself the a thing instead of relying for the media. To and he forced his way in there. He just brute forced it using social media. Like you become the most important media channel and his social media to this day, more people pay attention to that than traditional news outlets. So I, I would say that social media is probably, this, I mean, I'm not just saying this because it's my job, but it, it's the most important thing in politics today. And, uh, you know, if, if you're on a budget, put all your money in that, because I think you literally can win an election just on Twitter. Yeah. Are there are there any candidates that are running for any office right now that, that you would say they have? A uh, there's, I've been following a handful of congressional candidates, actually. I don't know if you wanted to specify presidential or congressional. I mean, I yeah, congressional is great. Yeah. Name, name. Yeah, there's, there's actually a lot. And I don't, it, this might be like, focus bubble bias, but lots of progressive candidates. Um, I've got like a list of like 20 that I follow um, on like a special list on Twitter. Um, and like my favorite right now is Morgan Harper in Ohio District 3 uh, out of Columbus. She's on every platform. And it's not just her Twitter. Her Instagram is tight as hell. She's doing the Facebook thing the way she should. I think she should do like more live stream type stuff because I think that's the way to really force it. But I think on, on a congressional level, it's not as crucial as the presidential level. But you know, she, she's got her game tight and her fundraising numbers set records, like all time records. So I think this, the proof is really in the pudding on that one, too. You yeah. know, she raised she raised like over 300,000 in her first quarter and she did like national fundraising on social media, like digital. And she, she did like other things, too. But her social media was tight from the beginning and she focused what, on it. What specifically did she do that you think other people can learn from? I think she she came out the gate with all her ducks in a row on social. And I think like I've seen some campaigns, like they'll have a good Twitter, uh, but they haven't given any love to their Facebook or they'll have, they'll even have a link on their website of like their Twitter, their Facebook and their Instagram and their Instagram will straight up be a dead link or their Twitter will just be a dead link. And it's like, mm -hmm. I feel like you have to have all your platforms in a row because people, people go and look for that. And also when like these social algorithms and everything, like the world of data is like, if you like something on Facebook, you could, or you like something on Amazon, you'll see an ad for it on Facebook, or you like something on Twitter, you'll start seeing it on another platform. And that's, there's a whole power to that too, where you don't really want to, if you're going to pick a platform and like have your username on it, you might as well make it look nice. So I, I think that's one thing that she did straight up. And uh, she also mm -hmm. did, she also did national targeting. She took advantage of the zeitgeist, which is 2020. Everyone cares about elections in this year. And I, I think it's just going to pay off even more for her as we go into 2020, honestly. Um, so for someone who is a, a candidate or maybe someone that's running like a small podcast, uh, syndication can be very tough. Uh, and for people that don't know, that's just the art of getting on all of the platforms because there's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Those are probably the big ones. Uh, what strategy should people use in order to make sure 
that they have content that can fit uh, on all the platforms and they can fit posting on all those platforms. I think, you know, it's really crucial to be on all the platforms that you pick. Like the more platforms, the better. But like if you just are like not hot on Snapchat, you can just cancel that one out or something like that. But in general, the more platforms, the better. And uh, this is another reason I love Gary Vee is he talks about like, you just need to put a, a lot of this content and he will, he actually gives away these strategies where you can turn like one podcast into like 12 pieces of content and post them on like six different platforms. And it, all you did was record one podcast and maybe make one type of image, but you've just, you've created like a dozen pieces of content to go across platforms. And you can, and I mean, if you observe his social media, sort of like a, a, a crash course in that, you know, he does one talk, cuts it up into little clips puts a little picture over it. Now it's an, now it's an Instagram clip or an IGTV thing or a Twitter clip or whatever, mm -hmm. or takes a, takes a quote out of a podcast and, and puts it as a Twitter status, you know, things like that, where it's like, you don't have to be creating a bazillion pieces of content, but you can take whatever content you're putting out and just realize that there's different ways to put it on each platform. And the, ultimately the more platforms and the more content you put out, the more reach and the more following you're going to get. But the other key point is to put focus on where the advantages actually are. Like TikTok, you get like insane reach for free because it's such, it's where the, the underpriced attention is. That's what Gary Vee calls it, underpriced attention. It's like how Amazon got big. They purchased Google ads when it was cheap. People got big on Facebook by purchasing Facebook ads when it was cheap. Um, and you get all this organic reach on like LinkedIn and TikTok and stuff like that. So if you if you are like keen to that, you can get you can get even more mileage out of just posting your content on those platforms. Like you don't even have to pay for ads on TikTok. You can get a million followers right now. Mm -hmm. People literally do get get a million followers in like a week on TikTok. It happens. Well, Sarah, it's quite common right now. To my knowledge, Sarah, this you are not on TikTok. So I have a TikTok. I haven't posted anything. But oh I study God. the platform relentlessly. <laughs> I haven't like I'm you, like you see, waiting you see, to post that's, something. That's where I get that I don't know about tech. That's not my ball. That's where I'm. That's where I'm getting. And I hate you know it. that is that's <laughs> where the audience is. It's when people like don't know it's their ball game yet, and it's new. If territory. you get in there. Yeah, I, I might. I just might. Listen, I, um, I could talk for hours on TikTok. I think it's the most <laughs> brilliant social media platform. And I'm like, like American supremacists who are like, uh, oh my god, it's so terrible. The Chinese are taking over. Like they should be shaking about TikTok because, like, I look at TikTok and I'm like, I don't know if it's possible for an American company to innovate beyond TikTok, just with the way our capital structure works and, and how we fund our companies and and acquire our talent. I, like it's scary to me because I'm like they did something so huge with TikTok. There's a reason it's the fastest growing platform. And I, mm -hmm. I seriously doubt an American company can ever can innovate beyond that, which which scares me. I hope I'm wrong. But they TikTok is really something else. Like I want to get in there, but I just haven't made my first TikTok yet. That's a wild uh, assessment. I think yeah. that's a good place to leave this episode too. We've recorded about an hour. And this was a just a wonderful conversation. Um it's like it's it's always fun for us and i actually think for a lot of our listeners too because a lot of our listeners are activists uh some of them are people running for office things like that uh to talk about this kind of stuff and you know it's always good in my opinion to get like businessy topics out in the open and not like obscure them from everyone so anyway but i i, I just want to say again this was a, a great conversation sarah Marilyn, thank you so much how can people reach you on the internet? Uh, Facebook, I'm always on there. Twitter is another way to find me. Um, I have an email, sarahmarilynsocial at gmail.com. 
Um, I love responding to emails. Um, yeah, DM, tweet at me, send me an email. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll be putting all of those links in the show notes, as always. Sarah Marilyn, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. It was a blast. Yeah, you know, we'll definitely have to yeah. have you on again because this was a lot of fun, and I'm, I feel like we could probably record like 20 hours of content with you. So. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I, I feel like we could, yeah. Uh, and you definitely feel free to come back like whenever you feel like it just drop us a line because um you like i've said like we said when we started you've kind of been with the show in spirit from the jump um kind of like that distant aunt or something like that <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> well yeah well i love what you guys are doing i really feel you know all the social media stuff it just kind of gets pigeonholed into brands and stuff like that but we're in a new age with social media and activism where you know, the new celebrities are just normal people that we're calling influencers. And it's really become like the people can just define the voices and the trends of today. And so all these sort of social media and marketing stuff is like, it really, it really belongs to the people. And I think everything you guys do sort of is part of that zeitgeist where we're, we're waking up to that. Love it. Well, all right. So everybody listening, so. And, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. For, it, everybody uh, who's out there listening. It's been fantastic. Everybody's awesome. out there listening. Thank you so much. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, NSF Wonks, if you're not there already. And also, don't forget to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash not safe. If you love our content, we have more content that you can have very cheaply, and it supports the show, and we appreciate it so much. So check it out. Thank yeah. you. And with that, bye-bye. See ya.